my name is Charzada. Welcome back to Not My Circle. Today we are talking with Taylor, a recovering heroin addict. Enjoy. Hi, Taylor. You look beautiful and I love your background. I'm so excited to chat with you. I'm so excited. What did you have for breakfast today? Um, I actually stopped at Dunks after I dropped my son off at daycare and I got a Charlie cold foam and I got one of those like um, bacon, egg and cheese, like sandwich wraps. Dunks is Dunkin' Donuts, right? Yes, yes. Sorry. We have limited amounts of them on the West Coast. I know. You guys, what do you guys have instead? You guys obviously have Starbucks. Yeah. And and I mean, for donuts, there's actually a lot of really like fancy donut places Mm. in the LA area. We are a huge fan of sidecar donuts. Okay. They're naughty. Oh my God. They're so good. I'm not even a donut person. And I, <laughs> we have a Dunkin' Donuts because when I was having my C-section with my second son, I went to Dunkin' Donuts at 5 a.m. to buy donuts for the nurses. Um, Cause that okay. one happened to be in the neighborhood that I was living at before. So I, I am familiar with the brand. I didn't really know that people called it Dunks or whatever. Yeah, that's, that's the East coast term dunks dunks i like it um you are an ex heroin addict yes well i don't like to say like ex because i okay. feel like it's like part of who i am so i'm like a recovering heroin addict but i'm de- yeah i'm a heroin addict yep you know what i'm glad you brought that up because i when i was writing some notes and stuff for today i i wrote down x but i paused because i actually mm. didn't know if that was um, a way that you wanted to be referred to. And I'm really happy that you brought it up because yeah, it's, do you, do you call yourself an addict then? Yeah. So I like, I say like I'm a recovering addict because I'm not in active addiction anymore, but I'm, it's definitely part of who I am. So I don't like to be like, Oh, I'm an ex addict, you know? Okay. Yeah. I, I always want to get down with the right lingo. You know, I don't want to piss anybody yeah. off by saying the wrong thing. So I like to like make sure I cover my bases by asking people how they want to be referred to, because that's important. It's their identity. It, you know, it's your identity. And, and who am I to say anything otherwise? Yeah. Um, talk to me about how you got started. Take me to the first take. take so, yeah, Um I have like my childhood is a little bit crazy. I have a lot of childhood trauma. I was sexually molested for most of my childhood um, by someone who, you know, I thought was someone I could trust, like someone so, so instilled in my life that like I could just I never thought he would do that to me, you know, and um, I don't like to. Obviously, addiction can stem from a lot of different things. I believe mine kind of stemmed from a who I am like it's just like part of who I am like I feel like I've always had addict tendencies like as a child like I was very like defiant and I it started small with like little things like I used to like love to shoplift like I would steal candy at the candy store like for like that thrill and like I would steal my friend's clothes and like pretend like I didn't have them like and never even wear them because obviously they were my friends they like would be like that's my shirt like I would just take it for the thrill like just like stuff like that and then um 
obviously addiction can stem from trauma. So I do have a lot of trauma, like a lot of trauma. So, I mean, I feel like it's like a variety of things, but I also just feel like it's part of my genetic makeup. Like a lot of my family is either a in recovery or still in active addiction or, you know, alcoholics and drug addicts. So I feel like it's definitely just instilled in my genetics, but yeah, I grew up in a loving home. Like my mom was a single mom. My dad wasn't in the picture. You know, he left at six months old when I was six months old. So have like severe abandonment issues, like all of the things. Right. And then in high school, I kind of just like, well, it started off in middle school. I just never felt like, okay with who I was. Like I was so insecure with who I was. I was constantly trying to be like everybody else. Um, I, I like love to say now that I'm a leader, but I used to be a hundred percent a follower. Like I would just be doing what you're doing. I'd want to dress like you. I'd want to be like, I'd want to have what you were wearing, like all of the things. And, um, I just like, wasn't okay with who I was and I wasn't okay with being present. That's really what my addiction stem stems from. Like I was not okay with sitting with self. Like I could never sit with myself. Um, and it started off with just, like any other kid, I feel like I, I experimented with smoking weed and then I started drinking. And then, you know, I was my friend. I was the friend out of all my friend group that like, couldn't just have one drink or couldn't just have like one shot. Like I would have to like drink the whole bottle or I would literally drink to black out or just like take it to that next level where like all my friends are like, what are you doing? You know? And it became like a daily thing. Like I was never sober in high school. Like I was either on, you know, I was prescribed prescription Xanax for my anxiety and Adderall for my narcolepsy and ADHD. So I was constantly medicated, you know, always smoking weed. And then after high school, I kind of got introduced to opiates where it's kind of ironic to me because when my friend group started doing opiates before me, I used to like cry. I'd be like, what are you guys doing? Like, you're going to kill yourselves. Like opiates are opiates are nothing to mess with. Like, that's crazy. You know, you're going to die. And then one night I got drunk enough where it just like, wasn't a fear tactic anymore. And, um, you know, I ran to my best friend who's now dead because of this disease. And I said, like, I want to try it. Like, I want to try it. Give it to me. I want to know why you guys can't stop. I want to know why it's so good. I want to know why. So got introduced to opiates and little did I know, like it would just rock my world, like just like completely turn my life upside down. So those like four, like four years of use were just so, so bad. Um, I graduated high school, started college. I went to Johnson and Wales in Providence, Rhode Island, and I, you know, failed all my classes. And by sophomore year, I called my mom finally. And I was like, mom, I have a problem. Like, I think I'm addicted to opiates. I lied to her. I like gave her a little bit of like enough for her to know, like kind of what was going on, but I didn't give her like the full, like I've been snorting heroin. Like I was just like, I've been taking pills and um, I think I'm addicted. Like I'm, I think I'm dependent because I'm going through withdrawals. I knew exactly what was going on, but I like acted like I was clueless to my mom and she like, I've never heard my mom cry so hard. Like she like sobbed on the phone and it was about to be Thanksgiving break. And she came and moved me out of my apartment. Cause I had an apartment with like eight of my girlfriends. She came and moved me out. I was failing anyways. So like 
I was going to have to drop out. So I dropped out of college, came home. And that was like the first little stint of like clean time that I had. Cause my mom's like, that's it back then. This was like 2014. So back then we didn't know about treatment centers. We didn't know about like, I didn't know that kids my age were trying to get well. I didn't know anything like that. Like I thought AA and NA were like for adults who are just like dry drunks. You know what I mean? Like I had no idea what recovery was like. So came home, my mom's a nurse. So she's like, I'm going to detox you here at home. You're going to get a job. I'm going to drug test you. I'm going to do this. We're going to do that. You're going to go back to school. You're going to like, you know, apply to a community college and you're going to do it. And I was like, okay, So that lasted like a month. She stopped drug testing me. I started again. We thought my problem was just heroin and opiates. So I still was drinking. I still was smoking weed. I still was doing all the other things like out on the weekends, partying with my friends, because I totally thought that I just had a chemical dependency on opiates because opiates is like that only drug that you, you, your body literally like you get physically dependent, you need it. So again, I had no no idea like who I was and like, you know, I didn't even identify as an addict at that point. And um, yeah, I just kept drinking, doing the same old thing and then slowly came right back to heroin, um, started smoking crack and meth within those like from 2014 to 2016. Those two years were really rough. Um, It was like living in and out of like crack dealers houses and just like hopping from guy to guy, drug dealer to drug dealer. I was in community college, but I like wasn't going like, I don't even know why I thought it was a good idea to apply to a community college. Cause I just wasted a bunch of money again. So I did that. And then the beginning of 2016, I, my, one of my best friends had saw me out and I was like unrecognizable. I was like 90 pounds soaking wet. My face was all picked apart. I just like looked disgusting she saw me out and she called my mom and she basically said like Tay's unrecognizable. She needs help. Like we need to get her to treatment. We need to get her home. We need to like sit her down and like pretty much intervention style her, like get her into some sort of treatment. So that's exactly what they did at the time. My brother was leaving for the Marines and my mom had like a heart aneurysm. So she called me and she like tricked me into coming home. Cause when I use, I disappear. Like I leave, I don't want anyone to see me how I am when I'm using, because I, I always led a double life. Like I had my normal friends who I would see like after work and drinking and stuff. And like, you know, my normal Tay fun, crazy self. And then I had like my other friends who were heroin addicts and crack cocaine addicts and people who like I I had no business hanging out with. And like, I had this double life. So like I would split my time between those two friend groups and my friends literally had no idea what was going on until that last few months. I had disappeared for like three months, like just like went black, like didn't talk to anyone, um, wanted to use in peace without anyone like kind of noticing what was going on. So my mom tricked me and said, you know, my heart aneurysm's bad. I need you to come home. And I really want you to say goodbye to your brother. Like he's leaving. He's going to like, he's leaving for his tour. Like you need to come say goodbye to him. So I was like, all right. So I like made sure I went home and brought what I needed to bring home. Cause I had a feeling, I think like subconsciously I knew what was about to happen, but I was just so ready. Like I was so tired of being sick and tired. I was just so exhausted of living how I was living and hanging around with the people I was hanging around. Like those weren't 
my dreams. You know, I have big dreams. Like I've always called myself a dreamer. Like I have these crazy massive dreams that I want to accomplish. And that's just like, it wasn't it, you know? So I think subconsciously I was ready. I went home and uh, my mom took my keys of course. And she kind of like trapped me in there and was like, I want you to sleep here and I want you to call treatment centers in the morning. And if you don't want to, I'll let you leave. Like, if you want to go in the morning, like I'll let you leave. You're an adult. I can't make you do this. Like you can leave. So that next morning I was so sick. I was so sick. I had gone through every, I had like done everything that I had brought to my mom's and I was like, finally like desperate and willing, you know, just like sobbing and crying and saying I was going to kill myself. And my mom's like, all right, well, like I'll help you call some places. And the very first place we called had a bed open that next day, which was like unreal. I think that was like my first God shot. Like they had a bed open for me. So I had to like make it through the night and my mom drove me there the next morning, did my first 28 day program in that treatment center. And I learned a lot about myself. You know, I learned about addiction. I learned about the disease. I learned that I'm powerless and it's not a choice for me. Like after that first drink or drug, like I, I can't stop no matter what. Um, I can't just have one, like, like normal people. I'm not normal, you know? So I learned a lot about myself there. And then my mom, we decided to do further treatment. So she sent me to a sober house, a sober women's house in Portland, Maine. And I did really well there for a while, but then I didn't like, I got super defiant. And I think I just like had this newfound freedom and I was clean again and I felt good. And I just wanted to be out with like my friends and like boys. And I was boy crazy. And I just was like, just just not doing the right thing. Um, and I slowly, slowly, like slippery slope, like was like finding myself doing shady shit and, you know, not making curfew and started doing other things outside of the house that like wouldn't show up in a piss test, but like I was doing them just to get outside of myself until one day I came home, I picked up my 90 day chip, came home to my roommates, the girls in my house. And at this point, I had never touched needles. Like I had only ever sniffed and snorted pills and heroin. I had never touched a needle. All my friends would shoot up and I would be like, nope, I don't do that. Like that's, that's no, like that, that that's too far. And up until this point, I said that. And then after my 90 day chip, I picked up my chip. I went home. I told every single one of the girls at my house, my roommates, I was like, I'm leaving tonight and I want to shoot up. And they were like, What? They were like, what are you talking about? And I was like, yeah, I need, I need to know. Like, I need to know what it's like. I feel like I'm not done yet. I feel like I was forced here and kind of like pressured and trapped here. I didn't come here willingly, whatever. So I ended up leaving, I ended up shooting up for the first time. And then those three months of IV use were like worse than my four years combined. Like I overdosed six times. I ended up with hep C. I was living in a bed bug infested apartment. I was like homeless living out of my car. Um, I was, you know, dating someone at the time who enabled my drug use and we were just like toxic for each other and like absolutely brought out the worst in each other. And it was, it was miserable that those three months, like, I think really like I truly believe that I needed to die in order to live. And those three months like slowly killed me, like absolutely slowly killed me. And my last overdose, um, honestly, it's a miracle that I'm even sitting here and like breathing and talking to you. I was gone for like 11 to 12 minutes and they were about to declare me dead. 
and they had this drill. I don't know if you've ever heard of the drill, but they use nasal Narcan or IV Narcan on people who are overdosing. It kind of like counteracts the drugs and it brings them back to life. They had already, they had used like four doses of Narcan on me and it wasn't working. So they were about to like declare me dead and they had the drill, which at the time was new to my area. Like it's a military thing. They drill into your bone marrow and they pump you with Narcan through your bone marrow. So if they didn't have that drill that day on that particular ambulance, I would be dead. I would, I would not be here, which is unreal. So I woke up out of that overdose with a drill in my arm, in my bone marrow. I thought I had broken my arm because I couldn't move my arm. I was laying on my mother's living room floor, um, just like absolutely clueless. Like what the hell was going on? I opened my eyes and like there's cops and paramedics around me everywhere. Um, and this was like my first overdose where 911 had been called. Every other time I had, I would carry Narcan on me. Like that's just, I, I was just always cautious and I would carry Narcan on me because the drugs, like it wasn't, it wasn't heroin. I wasn't doing heroin. It was fentanyl. It was killing people. So I knew that I needed to carry Narcan on me. That's just the type of person that I was. That's the type of addict I was. I was all or nothing. I knew I needed to carry that on me. So every other time, whoever I was with would just like Narcan me and I would come back and this time it was different. Like I was gone. Narcan was not working. 911 had to be called. And um, I, it's crazy because like they say like people who like experience that like white light experience, like it's wild. Like I can't put into words what had happened. But when I woke up out of that, like I was like done. Like I was like a new person. Every other time I had ran right back to drugs. And this time, I just, I truly believe that my best friends, my guardian angels, they were with me, the ones who have, who have passed away because of this, they were with me and like, they, they brought me back and that is just a gift in itself. And I, I spent every single day since then chasing my recovery. Like I used to chase my drugs and that's just how, how it's been. And I've been able to now have almost five years of like solid recovery where I can like help women and live present and be a mom to my kids and like be a good daughter and fiance and, you know, woman in life and have something to give instead of take, 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 take from people, you know? Wow. I'm so happy. I'm so proud of you. Five years is a really nice, good chunk of time. And I've, yeah, that's, that's hard stuff to go through. Really, really, really hard stuff to go through. Um, and I'm sorry that you went through all that. I mean, I feel like when you talk to an addict and you hear their, uh, a recovering addict and you hear their trauma, you're like, yeah, well, if I was sexually molested, I would want to numb my pain as well. And I can understand that. And thinking back to you getting prescribed Adderall and Xanax in high school, I mean, that's just setting you up for addiction, um, yep. If you have an addictive personality, I've tried every drug under the sun and I was never addicted to anything. I know yep. I don't have an addictive personality. And I remember it growing up for me, seeing people that tried something once like ecstasy. And then a year later they were missing their teeth. They like had never mm -hmm. stopped where I could do ecstasy, you know, one night and then not do it for six months. And, yeah. and I, and I, I remember at the time, you know, thinking like, why can't they just stop? You know, it's like, just do it on the weekend or just do it for a special occasion or whatever. And I, you know, obviously as I got older, I realized that I was wired, I'm wired different. Yeah. I don't have an addictive personality. It's something 
It's something that makes you, yeah, it's different. Um, there's so many things I wanted to touch on. Um, and I'm trying to think of like where to even go back and start, but I actually really want to know how recovery has been for you and how every day is. I mean, do you, I, I can imagine that it's, an active thing that you have to think about and practice. Like you said, constantly you're chasing recovery, like you chase drugs. And I, and I, from what I've heard people that are addicts and and do drugs every day, it's, it's the only thing they think about is where am I going to get my next fix? How am I going to get the money to get the the drugs that, and that's it. It consumes you. Like you can't even, you can't even help it. Like you don't even know you're like that, but it's just, it just literally consumes you. So Um, yeah, recovery has been incredible. I, right after that overdose, you know, I started going to meetings like every single day where I live is like a very small town and we didn't have meetings in my town. So I was driving like 45 minutes to an hour every single day to get to a meeting and to like raise my hand and ask women for help. And like, it was the first time ever that I started going to meetings and like, didn't seek out like men in the room and didn't seek out like the sickest people in the room. I started like hanging out with women who had like substantial amount of time in recovery, like, and who knew what they were doing and who suggested that I do these certain things. And I started listening and I started following suggestions. And I think it was the first time ever that I had really wanted to like sit down and thoroughly like go through the steps and like write a fourth step and read a fifth step and like make amends and do all the things. So yeah, recovery today looks a little different than it did in the beginning, obviously, because I'm a mom of two. Life is a little crazy. Um, but yeah, I still go to my meeting every single week. I used to go to a meeting every day. So that's obviously changed. Um, I don't go to a meeting every day. I go to a meeting every week. I speak when I am asked to speak. I share my story. I sponsor women. I help bring them through the steps. Um and I'm an open book. I talk about who I am and what my story is like, because I want people to see that like addiction doesn't discriminate. I might not look like your average heroin addict. Yes. I still have all my teeth. Like I, I don't, I'm not like that portrait for what addiction can look like. So I just want to like, always like reiterate, reiterate the fact that like, it doesn't discriminate. I'm very um, like passionate about sending my message and letting people know that there's a better way because I was stuck in the dark for so long. So you talked about going to rehab before and your mom detoxing you and going to different rehabs. You had two rehab sort of. Nope. I went to one, I went to one treatment center and then one detox. Okay. And, and then this last time, like after that overdose, my mom, she again is a nurse and we couldn't get into any beds. There was like a waiting list, like, like you wouldn't believe, which is another like tragic thing. Like during a fucking addiction epidemic, we're like, we don't have resources and there's no beds available for people to like even get what they need. So at that time I didn't, I couldn't get a bed. There was like a two week waiting list or whatever. I was like, I don't have two weeks. Like I'm going to die. I'm going to literally leave here and get high again. Like I'm going to die if I wait two weeks. So what we decided was like, we're going to detox me at home this time. My mom detoxed me, detoxed me at home. It was, it was honestly terrible. Like I give my mom so much credit in the fucking world. Like she had to sit with me for like four days. So it was, I overdosed on a Wednesday night. The next day was Thanksgiving. I ruined Thanksgiving, like completely ruined Thanksgiving for our family. Cause I was like dope sick and miserable and fucking just like awful. And I had to wait 
till that following Monday after Thanksgiving weekend to get my Vivitrol shot. I was on the Vivitrol shot for a year to get like that first year in recovery because nothing had worked for me. I could never make it past 90 days. I would always make it 90 days. And then I was like, gone, done, checked out. What's the Vivitrol? I'm not familiar with that. What is that? So Vivitrol. So they have like Suboxone and Methadone. I, I didn't agree with that because I used to abuse those. Um, and it's still like is mind altering in my opinion, like suboxone methadone still alters your mind and like your cognitive abilities and like your decision making and all of that. Um, it's very similar to a heroin high in my opinion. So I chose to do the Vivitrol because you don't feel it. You don't get chemically dependent on it um, like you would suboxone or methadone. And it's just a shot that you get every 30 days intramuscular. So they would shoot me in my butt <laughs> every 30 days. And um it's just like a counteractive thing where like, if I were to get high, I, I couldn't even get high. It's like a, it's a blocker. Oh, so I've never heard of that before. Yeah. yeah it's crazy. And it, it saves people's lives, you know, because they get that substantial amount of time where they're like, you know, transitioning into living their life. Normally they, they're, you know, going through recovery in a way where you have that, like, security blanket in a way so like even if i wanted to get high i couldn't like i always just it was in the back of my head like even if i'm having a bad day right now and i want to get high so bad i literally can't so like what's the point you know so if you missed your shot obviously you'd get high but yes right but so you have to be mindful enough to go and get your shot every 30 days every 30 days interesting i have never ever heard of that and yeah brought up another point too popular nowadays yeah uh, I, it's so crazy. I've, I've heard that there's long waits for beds and mm. it's, it's so a long. tragedy and it's so, and depending on where you live and the access that you have to the rehabs and the facilities, that's crazy. I, I've heard in my life before, and I feel like I've experienced that if you are addicted to something, there can be so many people trying to help you. And mm-hmm. Again, if you don't want to help yourself, it's just not going to happen. Is that true for you? You feel like 100%. that's totally accurate? 100%. So it took you literally like you, dying. Yeah. Like you literally have to be like beat down, broken and desperate. Like they say, like in the book, like you are literally beaten down to a state of like reasonableness and like brokenness. Like you have, like nobody can make you do it. Like my, no matter how bad my mom or my brother wanted me to get clean, like it just like, wasn't enough. Like, and I proved that to myself time and time again, like it just wasn't enough until that last overdose where I was like, Holy shit, I'm going to die. And I don't want to die. Like, I didn't want to be a heroin addict. I didn't like wake up one day and be like, I'm going to start shooting drugs. Like, that's my goal. Like, no, that's just like not what I wanted. That's not who I wanted to be. But when I tell you that, like who you are using to who you are sober is like a completely different person. Like if you knew me in active addiction, like you'd be like, who is this person like today? You know, like it's, it's wild to me. It literally feels like another past life. Like it feels like uh, literally another lifetime ago because I would do things then that I would never even think about doing now. Like I can't even picture it. Like I I honestly can't even picture it. So how are you paying for drugs most of the time? Drugs? Um, I was a waitress and a bartender. So I would get cash on hand every single night at the end of the night. Um, I would, I would always lose my jobs. Like I would literally get fired for being late or fired for like running back and forth to the bathroom to like get high. So like the restaurant industry is one of those easy workplaces where you can just 
find a job really quickly. Like they always need waitresses and bartenders. So that's what I would do. And it, and you found, you felt like it was pretty easy to get whatever drugs you wanted where you lived. Yeah. Cause even if I didn't have money, like most of my friends were dealing drugs or I would just honestly sleep with my drug dealer. Yeah. Yeah. I, so people that I know who have had to, um, recover from drugs, they have to basically eliminate everybody in their life that they used Mm -hmm. to hang out with. Did you have to do not just an internal cleanse, but social cleanse as well? hundred percent. I deleted like over like 200 people on my Facebook. I got a new phone number. Um, my mom went through my phone. She didn't even trust me. She like went through my phone herself and she deleted like all my drug dealers out of my phone. Um, yeah, I literally had to go through like a complete cleanse. And I think that like after this last time too, like it was just different. Like I was just ready to do all that any other time. Like I wasn't really ready, but this time I was like, yeah, fucking delete them. Like, bye. Like, I don't need that. Like, you know, and I think every other time I'm, I'm such an empath that like I take on everyone else's emotions and everyone else's shit. And I feel like this time it was just like, I need to focus on me. I need to do what's, what's right for me. Every other time it was like, oh, but this person's not doing good. Like, I'm just going to go see how they are. And then I would see how they are. And then boom, I'm sucked right back into the bullshit. And I'm like getting high with them, you know, like, cause I'm just so worried about what they're doing and I feel so bad. And that's just it. Like the people that I've met through my journey and like people who I know who are addicts are the most beautiful, intelligent, smart, creative people I have ever met in my entire life. Like they just, they don't have a fair chance. I feel like if that makes sense. Yeah. You said you had a, your best friend died. Yeah. Both of them, my best friend, Holly and my best friend, Cole. Oh fuck. I'm sorry. Yeah. And you were, you were actively using when they both died. Yeah. Were you guys all using together and then they just OD'd separately or the same night or separately? So my best friend, Holly died in April of 2015 and Cole died in September of 2015. So it was a few months apart and Holly, um, you know, on her toxicology reports, there actually wasn't any heroin in her system, which is crazy. She died of alcohol poisoning. So, um, it's really such a shame that that's the way it happened, especially because we had been doing heroin for so long. And then Cole, he died of a drug overdose. What's your advice for like a parent or a loved one of someone who's on drugs and you just want them to stop so bad, but you know, they have to come to it themselves. Yeah. So in my opinion, it's really like, how you are but my mom for sure like had to kind of like love me from afar like she basically just had to be like she had to give me like that tough love enough to like not enable me but also just like let me know that like listen I love you so much and I'm praying for you and I'm here for you when you're ready and like that she would just that's what she would tell me and she would text me like every couple every couple days how are you what are you doing where are you? Are you okay? You know, love you. And even if I wouldn't write back, cause like 90% of the time I'd never even write her back. I would just check in like here and there and be like, hi mom, love you. Like, that's it, you know? And it sucks. It's so heartbreaking. Me and my mom actually just watched Have you guys seen the trailer for four good days with Mila Kunas? Me and my mom just watched it the other day and we like both sobbed because that is literally like our story. Like I, she had, I just sit at home with her for four days and detox and it was miserable. And I cried every day and I screamed and I told her I wanted to kill her and I hated her. And like, it was, it was so bad. And she just saw me in like my absolute 
worst, like just absolute worst. And she just didn't give up on me. And she just, you know, what mother could give up on their child, you know, but I think just like in that movie, there has to be a time where you're like, no, like until you're ready to like, to actually do what you need to do to get clean. Like, I can't help you. Like, I'm sorry. I love you. And I'll be here for you when you're ready. But until then, like you're on your own. And a lot of people would call that like tough, tough love or harsh, but I truly believe that that's like what, what we need. Right. Because otherwise, you know, as a parent or a friend of somebody who's an addict, if you give them money, if you give them a place to stay, you're actually just enabling them. Exactly. So there, I mean, it, it feels like if your loved one is an addict, there is not a lot you can do. I mean, right. You you can't do anything. You can say, beg, kick, scream, you're like to a rehab, but I imagine the success rate of those who are in rehab that were dragged there is probably quite a bit lower than somebody who checked themselves in a rehab or took it upon themselves to do it, which is just so fucked up that like you literally had to die. Even the loss of your best friend's, didn't stop you. It, it was the loss of really your own life for 11 minutes. It was my sixth overdose. Like I had, I had, that right. wasn't my first, like that was my sixth. So wow. it's just, it really is like, it's like my best friend who died, Cole, he used to tell me all the time, like he, cause we would cry to each other. You know, we didn't want to be doing what we were doing and we were just so sick of being sick and tired and just like doing the same old rat race and just the bullshit and like the scheming and trying to get the money and the drugs. Like, it was just exhausting. And we used to like cry to each other. And he used to tell me like, it's just like this big gorilla that I just like, can't get off my back. Like it just like, won't leave. Like, and that's like the best way that I can describe it. It's like this thing that's just like attached to you. And no matter like how hard you shake it, it's just like, it's, it's not going anywhere. Like it's not going anywhere. So it just, it's really hard. If you're not beat down to a place where like you are absolutely desperate, like it, it's not going to happen. Like the drugs are just so strong. Like that, that mindset is just so crazy. Okay. So you're a mom, you got two little kids. Yeah. Um, how do you plan to teach your kids about drugs? Because, and I ask this, and this is a tough question. And by the way, I'm looking for your advice. I've got two little kids as well. My sister has a kid. Um, and I was somebody who experimented and, and like I said, no problem with addiction. So for me, uh, and we grew up in a 420 friendly house, like, or, you know, we, it was not a big deal in my house. I grew up in the Bay Area, like uh, many, 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 many successful people that were adults that had everything taken care of, um, smoked weed and were totally fine or casually drank alcohol. Yeah. Um, and even some like casually did other drugs and were totally fine. So for me, I, I want my kids to like be able to experiment, not push it over the edge. Of course, don't want them to get addicted. There's a weird line there but as somebody who went through literal hell and back and now as kids how are you going to navigate that have you thought about it i know it's a tough question because it's in the think about it all the the future but yeah what are you what are your thoughts yeah my son is two and my daughter is about to be five months old and you're in the thick of it with mom life damn yeah Yeah. and my fiance he's actually in recovery as well so he's an addict so and his whole family like all down the line they all have problems too so like we both just come from it and i'm just like our kids literally have a 50 50 chance of like having this genetic makeup or or not and like that's the toughest thing for me because i'm like well how will i even know 
like how will I even know when they're in school and like my son starts to smoke weed how will I know that like he's just experimenting or like how will I know that that's going to turn into like shooting drugs right it's like, wild to me so the only way that I know that I'm going to be able to like handle all that and kind of like navigate through that as he's getting older and same with my daughter, I think I just, I really want to have a transparent household in the fact that like, I want them to be able to come to me and trust me with anything. I want them to ask me questions. I want them growing up knowing me and their dad's past and like what, what we've been through. So I can like, you know, not like scare them, but you know, just like yeah. shit can get bad, you know? Right. So having lived it, I'm going to know how to handle it a little bit better. Yeah. And I feel like that's where I kind of have like that advantage of like, I know the signs to look for. I know the behaviors. I know what it looks like before drugs even come into the picture, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and also I'm just going to try and keep them like active with things that take up their time because yeah. I don't have that. Right. Like I didn't play sports. I didn't like do any school activities. Like I, dated kids that were like three to four years older than me and like started drinking and throwing parties like very young like and my mom was a single mom she was working 60 hours a week and I never saw her like I had the house to myself 90% of the time like I don't want that for my kids so I am going to be very involved in their lives I'm going to be very present I'm going to be very transparent and communicative with them like I want them to be able to talk to me about anything and I'm kind of just going to let them know about my history and what happened with me. So they, so that's always in the back of their head, like, right. well, mom did this and mom kind of went through this. So maybe I can't do this, you know, like, but I also want them to know that it's okay if they're just, cause I'm, I'm very okay with weed as well. So I want them to know that like, there's a chance they could be fine. Right. And like, I know for me, a lot of it stems from trauma. So I'm hoping that they don't ever have to endure trauma in their lives where like, yeah, knock on wood, that they'd never have to endure any type of trauma in their lives where like they feel like they need to, to escape reality. Yeah. It's such an interesting question. And, uh, you know, I, I think about it a lot too, because, uh, you know, like I said, you never know if somebody's going to have an addictive personality or not. And I think when you tell yeah. kids that they can't ever do something, they're going to be more likely yeah. want to do it. So, but it's like, you don't want them, you know, it's, it's just a delicate dance of, of trying to make sure that things that, that were really difficult in your life don't happen to your kids. Yeah. I guess cross that bridge when you get there. We got, we both got time, <laughs> exactly. but I do think about it all the time. Like, I'm just like, my kids are fucked. <laughs> like they have 50% of me and 50% of their dad. And I'm like, Oh my God. No, no. They're lucky. They've got a strong mama. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. So what are some common misconceptions about you? Um, I feel like probably the biggest misconception is that I was a heroin addict. Like people honestly can't believe me sometimes when I tell them that like that used to be my life. They're just like, what? you know, or nowadays that my life is so good. Like people think that I live like this picture perfect life and like that my relationship is like couple goals and I'm like an incredible mom and this and that, but like, that's just like so far from the truth. And I try to keep that really transparent and real as well. Like I have a lot of trauma, like intimacy is very hard for me. And, you know, I'm very grateful that my fiance has like stuck by me through all of it and is willing to do whatever it takes to like get me through those steps, but people don't 
know what goes on behind our doors. People don't know the struggles that we have as a couple. People don't know or see like those deep, hard talks and those cries that we have, because I'm just like, some days I can't, I literally can't be touched. I'm like, don't touch me. You know, like it's something that I still am working through and still trying to get through, you know, five years into my recovery journey. Like it's, I feel like I'm always going to live with this trauma and it's always going to be hard, but I feel like I'll learn ways to kind of cope better mm-hmm. because it's still, it's still very hard. Like, like sex sober, it's crazy. Like it's scary, especially when you have trauma. Like, I'm just going to say it. Like, it is like so weird. Like it's weird sometimes. Like, you yeah, know, so- having sex when you're wasted and then you have yeah. sex, you're like, wait a minute. What yeah, like, have. and it's not even just like the act of sex. It's the intimacy yeah, like that. Right. Like you see me, you see all of me like that. That is what we kind of struggle with sometimes. So I shouldn't say we, I, and you know, he's just, he, I'm so blessed. Like, honestly, I'm so blessed. Well, that's good. I appreciate your honesty and vulnerability. It's, it's wonderful to talk to somebody who is totally comfortable talking about their, their yeah. shit. You know, because definitely other people will hear this and get a lot of really good takeaways from it. What do you want people to know about you? That I'm just a small town girl with big, big dreams. And like, I want to change people's lives and I want to really make an impact and leave my, you know, my footprint. And I just, I want to leave a legacy for my kids. And I just, I have big goals. Like I really do. I have like crazy goals and I just, I want to, I want to change change my little world for the better and impact people's lives. And that's, that's all I really want people to know. And I want people to know that no matter where you come from or no matter what you're going through or no matter what, what situation might arise, pain and misery is temporary and we can get through those hard moments and we can heal from them. So I think that's very important for people to know that even though you might feel stuck right now, you can't, you won't be stuck forever. And like, it's up to you to change that. Like you can change that. It's just, it's up to you. I love that. Are you completely sober? Do you, can you have a beer? Can you smoke a joint? Can you have an edible? So, so I am sober from alcohol, hard drugs, all of it. I don't take prescription drugs, none of it, but this just this year. So like I made it like four and a half years. And then just this year after my daughter was born, I started experimenting with edibles and THC tinctures for my trauma and for my anxiety and depression. Because again, I don't believe in prescription drugs. Mm-hmm. And my doctor just wanted to like, you know, here's, here's Klonopin or Xanax for your anxiety. Like, I just don't believe in that. I was very addicted to Klonopin and Xanax. So I've been, I've been seeking other, um, other options through like plant medicine and tinctures and edibles, um, and that way. So, so I definitely like, I don't know a lot. It's, it's very like taboo in the AA community, whether you like, whether you're a hundred percent sober or not, if you still smoke weed or or do edibles, Mm -hmm. Um, so in my eyes, I'm still sober and a lot of other people's eyes, I'm still sober, but in a lot of people's eyes in AA, that's just frowned upon, but that doesn't stop me from going to meetings. That doesn't stop me from telling my story. That doesn't stop me from saying who I am because that's just part of my story. And I'm not ashamed of that, you know? And do you think that I do not drink and I won't, and I won't drink. Yeah. Do do you think THC, um, and the tinctures and stuff, do you think it's helping? Absolutely. Nice. 
Like when I tell you, like I have been able to like breathe. Yeah. It's, it's crazy, especially during those intimate moments. Like I'm just able to like breathe, but still I'm here. Like it doesn't affect my decision-making or any of that, you know? Right. 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 Good. Well, I'm happy that you found something that you feel works. And, you know, again, because of the way that I grew up, I've never viewed marijuana as bad. And I know that controversial thing, because of course, a lot of people will say it's a gateway drug and you smoke a joint. And then the next thing you know, you're, you know, shooting up or or whatever, which there is truth to that for some people, of course. Right. But I think alcohol is the gateway drug because to me, alcohol is something that affects your decision-making and something it it alters your mind in a way where you would do something you normally wouldn't do sober. Right. Like you don't hear about somebody beating their wife when they're high. Exactly. Right. Or right. I mean, I I'm sure it happens, but, and I'm talking about high on marijuana. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 21, like it's like basically legal in every single country, every single state. So like certainly is here. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, it's just way better than taking a prescription pill, in my opinion, and changing the chemical makeup in my brain. Like, I just don't believe in that. I hear you. I, you know, a lot of people, you say prescription meds and and it's also a bit of a controversial thing because Mm -hmm. some people swear by them and and they feel like it's changed their lives for the better. And for those people, sure, whatever works for you. I'm I'm not somebody who wants to judge, but I imagine there are a lot of people like you who get prescribed things so easily at such a young age. And then, and it sounds like that was more your gateway drug than, than a lot of the other things. But anyway, well, Taylor, I am proud of you. I know we just met, but I'm so proud of you. And I think, uh, I think you're wonderful. And I think saying your story loud and proud is only going to help people. And I feel like all your dreams are going to come true. I'll be I'll be watching you on the gram. I'll be watching you. you. And I just I I am somebody who really appreciates honesty and vulnerability. No, no harm can come from being being totally who you are and sharing, sharing authenticity. That's for sure. No, definitely. Well, if you ever come to L.A., (laughs) and we'll go get a nice little lunch together or something and our kids can play. Yes, I would love that. Well, take care. Yeah. And, uh, and good luck with everything. Thank you so much for this. I really appreciate it. Yep. Yep. It was my pleasure. Have a good one.